Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as always, it is a pleasure to see your faces on my screen. My, my, you're, you're on that screen. Camera's over here. Um, if you don't know me, uh, I'm Alistair. Uh, I was a voluntary pastoral assistant uh, here at Kingdom Vineyard for a whole year after finishing my physics degree. Uh, but now I work part time for the church, uh, mainly wrestling with technical issues and a bit of video editing on the side. Um, and then I also work for a church. I also work for a school uh, in our growth um, as a school technician. Uh, and that's been a whole lot of fun so far. But uh, this morning, we're continuing our series in John's Gospel. We're looking at chapter 18 verses 28 to 40. And I'll give you some time now to find that in your Bibles before we have it read to us. To give you fair warning, I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about truth. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I don't really enjoy talking about philosophy. My immediate reaction is to think it's a load of nonsense, which of course it's not, apparently. Um, so <laughs> you may be pleased to know that I won't be going into the whole your truth, my truth, the nature of truth. It's too early for that. I haven't had enough coffee for that sort of chat or maybe something a little stronger. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Lucy, my wife, is now going to read our passage for us. Um, so for the smoothest of transitions, uh, here we go. OK, so um, I'm reading from John um, chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the, eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Brilliant. Thanks, Lucy. Um, 
yeah, I don't know what was happening there with the uh, sharing the screen, but hopefully you had your Bible in front of you so you could read along with us. So I want to look at this passage uh, in two halves this morning. The first half being verses 28 to 32, where we see the conversation between the religious leaders and Pilate. And the second half is Jesus' conversation with Pilate. So starting off with the religious leaders. We see throughout John's gospel that the religious leaders are fully aware of Jesus' ministry. There is, to say the least, a wee bit of tension here, as Jesus was exposing them with his words and also his miracles. One of the ideas that John is trying to make super clear with his gospel is the claim that Jesus is God and has been sent from God. And the miracles he performs are one of the key things that John keeps pointing to. When Jesus restores the sight of a man born blind in John chapter 9, the Pharisees hear about it and don't believe it. They then question the man who was healed, who indeed testifies that he was healed by Jesus. They still don't believe him, thinking that he's lying about being born blind. So they get his parents in and they question them. And obviously they confirm that their son really was born blind. Yet, because he was healed on the Sabbath, the day in the week where no work is meant to take place, the miracle couldn't have happened. In their minds, doing work included everything from picking up a small snack as you walk through a field, to carrying your mat home after your legs have been miraculously healed, to laying your hands on someone and asking God to heal them. This, of course, is neither the heart nor the truth behind what God intended the Sabbath to be. Jesus makes this very clear in Mark chapter two. But the religious leaders are blind to the truth, choosing instead to listen to their own interpretations rather than the words of a man whose credentials are being clearly demonstrated before their very eyes. Then, a little later in John's gospel, in chapter 11, a friend of Jesus called Lazarus dies. He's buried, wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a tomb. Four days later, Jesus arrives and calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and he is miraculously raised from the death, from death back to life, in front of a whole crowd from the village. Now, inevitably, an eyewitness account of this reaches uh, the religious leaders, and again, they refuse to believe. As John writes it, they don't even stop to consider how it is that Jesus has raised someone back to life. They go straight to being concerned about the reaction of the Romans if more people continue to follow Jesus. They skip straight over the truth of what the circumstance is, which is staring them right in the face. They didn't believe that Jesus was from, sent from God. They don't trust him, and so they continue to live in fear of the Romans. John is building up a picture of the religious leaders throughout his gospel that they are more concerned with their own words rather than the word of God. They have become set in their way of thinking, so much so that when someone, who comes, when someone comes along who is clearly at the very least a prophet, performing signs and wonders that, they, that could only have come from God, they consider their own words to be greater than his. They won't look past that excuse me, they won't look past their own sense of wisdom to see God's wisdom. I wonder how often do we ignore the wisdom of God and trust in our own wisdom instead. 
after a conversation Jesus has with a Pharisee, John writes in chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And this is what we see happens in these chapters that we're going through. The religious leaders claim to not believe Jesus' testimony based on their supposed devotion to Moses and the law. But it's this very law that we see them ignore in last week's passage as they carry out a mistrial under the cover of darkness. They condemn to death, not just an innocent man, but the only faithful partner in their nation's covenant, without presenting any real evidence or making any effort to consider the truth. And the hypocrisy continues in this week's passage, as they are more concerned with not defiling themselves by entering the house of a Gentile, rather than the miscarriage of justice, which they have just orchestrated. I think this is what Jesus referred to in what he said in chapter five, verse 45. But do not think I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. Their actions combined with their claimed devotion to the scriptures show them as hypocrites. You'd think when they couldn't even offer an explanation to Pilate in this week's passage, they might have recognized their hypocrisy. What was standing out to me as I was reflecting on this is that John portrays this as friendly fire. In other words, getting shot by the people who, are, who you are least expecting to get shot by. I feel like having grown up with these stories, I'm conditioned to hear Pharisee or Sadducee or religious leader and instantly consider them as the bad guy. I think some of that would have been true to John's intended audience to some extent. But really, these are the leaders and representatives of God's chosen people. This isn't your usual bog standard enemy. This is a betrayal from the ones who should have known better. They should have been the first to recognize Jesus, the first to join him and the first to follow him. And yet the deepest of betrayals is turned to the greatest of glories. Their actions directly lead to the clearest revelation of the creator God that we have ever received. I felt this morning that this needs to be addressed, that friendly fire hurts. And if history hadn't displayed it enough, I think we've seen some more doses of friendly fire from God's people on earth in this last year. Every unhelpful comment on social media, every negative news story or fresh revelation of abuse from the church breaks our hearts afresh. Because deep down, we know that the church represents Jesus on earth. And we're ashamed that it often seems like we're not all that much better at doing that than the religious leaders we read about in the Gospels. Now, I hope that's not anyone's experience of this community here at Kingdom Vineyard. 
But if you've been burned by friendly fire, maybe in this church or another, or maybe you feel a sense of shame when you say to others that you're part of a church. This morning, I think there's an invitation to forgive and an invitation into freedom. That doesn't mean stopping or even slowing the cause of justice, but it's about taking up the way of love rather than bitterness. My reflection from this passage is that we can hope. We can hope that one day God would use all of this for his glory. Even if it means waiting for Jesus to return, even if it's in, an, in as bewildering a way as seeing the saviour of the world being tortured, mocked and murdered in public. In today's passage, the religious leader's betrayal was great. But the revelation of God's glory that followed was even greater. So if you feel burnt by the church and it's been weighing heavy on you, then there'll be an opportunity to respond and receive prayer at the end of the service. I believe that there's freedom and new hope for you to receive this morning. But how can it be that Jesus' death on the cross is a revelation of his glory? Let's turn now to the second half of today's passage. In verse 32, John wrote, uh, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. This is John making a link back to chapter 12, where Jesus talks about the lifting up of the long-awaited and anointed saviour, called the Son of Man, from Daniel's prophecy. John is making the point that the image of the Son of Man being lifted up or exalted corresponds to Jesus being beaten, stripped, nailed to a cross and then hoisted up among convicted criminals for all to see. Now, perhaps he's referring to Jesus' ascension into heaven, but it seems odd to me that John would build up the expectation of seeing Jesus' glory revealed throughout his gospel and then for the narrative to crescendo with Jesus' death on the cross and then for John to not even include Jesus' ascension. No, I think John was leaning into this theme, and I think it was intended to be controversial. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The truth that Jesus reveals is counter to what the world claims is true. In this week's passage, in verse 37, Jesus says this to Pilate. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, John has been building up a picture of the truth throughout his gospel. 
he uses the phrase the truth many times uh, so i thought it'd be worth spending some time with this and we can look at a few of the highlights i promise it won't take too long and i think there's some really good stuff to uncover here and then we'll finish off with reflecting on how we can know more of the truth so starting at the beginning at the start of his gospel john gives a bit of a prologue setting the stage for his story of jesus to begin he says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth john is making it clear from the beginning of his gospel that jesus came not only to reveal truth but to embody it we look at jesus's life and we see the truth of the world john describes how the word of god who is jesus is light the light is illuminating the world which sits in darkness later in chapter 3 verses 19 to 21 which we read before john further connects the ideas of truth and light jesus the light illuminates the world exposing the truth when i was preparing for this sermon i found it helpful to think of it a bit like this it's a bit like when it's all dark in your bedroom and all you can make out are shapes and forms and it may just be ourselves or lies that are told to us but we begin to see like scary monsters in those shapes but in reality the truth is it's just a dressing gown hanging on the door of the wardrobe but that isn't revealed to us until the light is turned on the room illuminated and the truth exposed jesus is the light of the world he has come to illuminate the darkness So having set up that Jesus is the light that exposes the truth, John then goes on to tell us what this means for us. In chapter four, it means that we can worship in spirit and in truth. We can worship with our eyes wide open and fixed on God, knowing what he's truly like and what he has done. Later, Jesus says we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. We can know the reality of the world we live in, the light has been switched on. Jesus has come into the world. We don't have to be trapped in our beds for the fear of the monster. We can see clearly now that it's just the dressing gown. Because Jesus explains in chapter eight, we listened to Satan's lies and followed his desires. But he does not stand in truth. There is no truth in him. We listened to his lies about what the world is like. He told us the shape in the corner is a monster. But the light is on. Jesus has revealed the truth of the world. So John is building up this really vivid picture of a light shining in the darkness to reveal the truth. And he says in chapter 14 that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus himself is the truth. He came not only to reveal the truth, 
but also to embody. So what is it that he reveals? What about his life shows us the way the world truly works? Here are just a few things that jumped out to me as I've been reading John's Gospel. That just as God, just as Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet, true leadership does not seek to serve itself, but to serve others. That there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. That at the centre of being a good person is to love God with all that we have, and then to love others as we would love ourselves. And that the kingdom of God isn't lines drawn on a map and one with violence, but it is God's will written on our hearts and one with love. Each one of those could have their own sermon. The truth is, Jesus is king. He is above it all. Parts of the world may not have accepted it or even know it yet, but the reality is, Jesus is king. We don't have to live in fear of spiritual evil, principalities or powers, people or institutions, where our daily bread comes from, or the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus reigns above it all. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But if Jesus is the truth, then it's not just about knowing facts, it's about knowing a person. When you get to know someone, knowing facts about them isn't, is an important part of that process. But people aren't encyclopedias, there's a relationship to be had. And in those interactions, big and small, more of them gets revealed to us as we experience life with them. So to have a lived, personal, Holy Spirit-filled experience of a relationship with Jesus is a world-illuminating thing. And it's available to each of us today. But it doesn't always feel like that. It can be so easy for us to get blinded by the darkness of day-to-day -day life, let alone the deep darkness of trauma and real evil. From every part of our lives and circumstances, we get told different stories and they form what we think about reality. So I want to come into land with this. How do we discover for ourselves how do we come into deeper relationship with the truth? Jesus says it in today's passage in verse 37. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So first and foremost, we look to his word given to us in the Bible. As a starting point, I can recommend the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or this book, John. They give eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life and were written to teach people about him. Secondly, we can meet together as a church. 
even though it's more difficult in times like this. Jesus lives in each one of us. So if we want revelations of Jesus, then let's do life together. And often the ways he speaks clearest is through other people. So if you enjoy these Sunday gatherings, then I can heartily recommend our micro home groups, our midweek, our Sunday and monthly prayer meetings, um, as well as our other events like our worship nights. In some ways, they've never been easier to get to. And then finally, and I'll finish with this, we have the spirit of truth. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples about him leaving in John 16, verse 7, he says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not, for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Church, we have the spirit of truth living in us, who continues to speak to us today, revealing the truth that Jesus exposes. So let's carve out time to spend with him. Grow in hearing his voice. And let's listen to the truth that he tells us, letting it shape our lives and the way we live in this world. Then we can also be revealers of the truth to the people and places around us. Let's be people together who love the truth and listen to his voice. So how about we do that now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us. And we thank you for all the ways that you've been speaking to us this morning already. Lord, would you draw us deeper into a relationship with you? Would you draw us deeper into the truth that you tell us, that you reveal to us? I pray this week, Lord, as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, as we interact with friends and family and colleagues, that you'd reveal more of who you are, how the world works in light of your kingship, in light of your kingdom. And I pray like you, Lord, that we would embody that truth, that we would bring light into the darkness to illuminate the world around us by your power 
and your grace, Lord. Amen.